Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Uh, we're going to jump straight in. We are started last week a series called All for the One. And um, some of you are like, oh, he's made the service late and so he's going to preach long. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'll be... 75 minutes. No, 20 minutes. It's all good. But I, I, I want to read from Luke chapter 15. We jumped into the story, and this is the most amazing chapter that reveals the heart of God. We've called it the heart of Luke chapter 15 and not the principle of it. There's no principle. There's 99 and 1. It means if you've got 200 and you've got 198 and you've got 2. No, it's not a principle. It's a heart of the Father. And he takes us on the journey of three different stories. One, starting with sheepies, little sheeps. These sheeps, that's not a word, eh? Sheep. Sheep are there. And they're not just little animal lovers. This is not a story for animal lovers, by the way. It's a story for people who, that is your economic reality. And there's an impact to that because you've lost one. Now, do you make a decision to leave the 99 and go after one? Well, this shepherd does. And this shepherd reveals the father. Who then tells us a story of a lady who's lost one shekel. And lost one in the dark. And how she searches for the shekel all over the place. And when she finds it, she brings her neighbors and her friends and says, come and celebrate me because what was lost is now found. But the pinnacle of this story is where we're at today. It's just a three-week little series to provoke us, to challenge us around what is it, this reckless love of God, is it just for me or am I a vessel of it? He says, actually, the pinnacle of the story is not an economic reality. It's not a coin in finance. The pinnacle of the fact that there's a father who goes off the lost things and lost people is a story of a lost son coming home. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 15. You can follow on the screen or read in your Bible if you can. Verse 11, then Jesus said, once there was a father with two sons. The youngest son came to his father and said, Father, don't you think it's time to give me the share of your estate that belongs to me? So the father went ahead and distributed among the two sons their inheritance. Shortly afterwards, the younger son packed up all his belongings and traveled off to see the world. He journeyed to a far-off land where he soon wasted all he was given in a binge of extravagant and reckless living. While everything spent, with everything spent and nothing left, he grew hungry, for there was a severe famine in the land. So he begged a farmer in that country to hire him. The farmer hired him and sent him out to feed the pigs. The son was so famished he was willing to even eat the slop given to the pigs because no one would feed him a thing. Humiliated, the son finally realized that he, what he was doing. Sorry, let me start again. Humiliated, the son finally realized what he was doing. And he thought, there are many workers at my father's house who have all the food they want with plenty to spare. They lack nothing. Why am I here dying of hunger, feeding these pigs and eating their slop? I want to go back home to my father's house. And I'll say to him, Father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. I'll never be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, just treat me like one of your employees. So the young son sent off for home. From a long distance, his father saw him coming, dressed as a beggar, and great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son, who was returning home. So the father raced out to meet him. He swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly, and kissed him over and over with tender love. Then the son said, Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I could have never deserved to be called your son. Just let me be. And the father interrupted him and said, Son, you're home now. 
Turning to his servants, the father said, quick, bring me the best robe, my very own robe, and I will place it on his shoulders. Bring the ring, the seal of sonship, and I will put it on his finger and bring out the best shoes you can find for my son. Let's prepare a great feast and celebrate. For this beloved son of mine was once dead. Now he's alive again. Once he was lost, but now he is found and everyone celebrated with overflowing joy. I'm going to stop there, but the story continues, and we're going to continue with that part next week as we look at the picture of the older brother who gets a little bit grumpy. Most of us can understand. Please remember this story, I believe, is not just for to be preached in his evangelistic tool. I don't believe that was the purpose when Jesus was teaching those in front of him. He was taking, actually, those who were fighting him the most, the Pharisees, the guys who'd come to accuse him, and they said, you're hanging around all the worst guys, these notorious tax collectors and notorious sinners, big block sinners, just a whole bunch of sinners in there. Jesus, why are you here? And they're really struggling with Jesus' presence and the fact that these guys seem to love Jesus. They're struggling with it. And Jesus tells the story of the sheep, the, stick, the story of the shekel, and the story of the son. Why? To take them on a journey and say, I'm trying to show you something that you're struggling to see. I'm trying to take you on a journey. A journey where it starts with one out of a hundred. Then a journey where it starts with one out of the ten. And then a journey that zooms in on the pinnacle, which is not sheep or shekels. It's a son. If you're like me, and you go shopping with three kids, and you say to your wife, well, we go home with two, that's still 66%. It's a pass. A C plus, we've done well. We'll take it. There have been those moments, if I'm being brutally honest. Maybe you say, well, actually, you've got the good son. He's been given his bucks, and yet he's still hung around. He's still serving. You've got the good son. Why would you run to this son? But Jesus is doing something more than a principle. He's doing something so much more than saying, church, when you've got a hundred sheep. No, he's not doing that. He's saying, this is who my father is. This is who my father is. He says, actually, if you see me and you know me, you'll know my father. My job is to take you on a journey of knowing the father. You see, Jesus knew his father. He said, I come to earth not to give you a principle of how to do life. Give you a religion because you need another one. Give you something to do on a Sunday morning at Hopper's 10. No, I came to earth to show you the father. And as you see the father, would your heart be caught up with passion for him, with what he loves? And we sing these songs, break my heart for what breaks yours. Well, the gospel then sometimes turns back on us and says, well, what breaks your heart? Is it what breaks his? See, because there are these aha moments that have to happen in every believer's life. And almost everyone has the first one. The first one is this, and the Bible would call it a kind of revelation, a wow, that's amazing. The first one is this, is if we look to the scripture and we understand that number one, who is God? God is a father who likes finding lost things. You get that? I don't know about you, but I'm that guy too. I find that easy to relate to God. I, I, I like finding lost things. You know those jeans you, you wore like four years ago because winter came and you ate them away. You couldn't get them back on. So you kept them for the summer when you could get them back on four years later. And then you put your hand in the pocket and you realize that 40 rand that you've been looking for for the last four years was in the pocket all along. It's like, I found it. You run around the house. You tell your neighbors, I found it. Now, that would be overdramatic. But, but I mean, I, I just I look at it. It's that, it's that chocolate you hide away from your kids. You know, if you're a parent, you've hidden chocolate. It's okay. Be free today. But you hide and you find it like years later. It's moldy. Like, ah, oh, that sucks. It's, I don't know, but there's more important things that you lose as well. 
Maybe, maybe you've gone shopping and your wallet, and inside your wallet is your month's pay and your ID and your way of a livelihood, and you lose your wallet. You're not scared in that moment to run back to the, the changing room you're in, to run back to the spa attendant who looked after you. You're not scared to do those things. Why? Because it's important to you. It's important to you. And you go on this journey of, actually, I, I sat with people in the boom of, of Bitcoin in December, and they're on the rise, and everything's rising. And two months later, I'm the same guy. I'm going, whoa, let me help you, brother. Cause why? Because he'd experienced loss. I'm going, no, well, it exposes what we've given our heart to. It's an aha moment of actually, I also don't like loss. So when the 99, we sing the song, I like, I love it because I was lost and I'm there. Yes, that's aha moment number one. But Jesus is pushing them to aha moment number two. Some of you are thinking about the band aha. I'm not talking about that. <laughs> Got to be over 35 to know that one. But it is this aha moment of encountering God, and it's this thing. Jesus is not just focused and obsessed on lost things. He's this God of the lost things. No, he's focused and obsessed on what? Financial things? No, that's not the pinnacle of the story. A coin? That's not the pinnacle of the story. Your lost wallet? That's not the pinnacle of the story. You know what the pinnacle of the story is? A lost son and daughter. Dirty in their sin. Broken in their ways. Destitute in all their things. That is the pinnacle of the story. And we worship a God whose heart breaks for the lost. People. People. Why do we pray for people's businesses? Because of people. And people can be influenced. Why do we pray for people's success and their kids? Why? Because on the other side of that story is a testimony of God's goodness and His faithfulness so that people might encounter His grace and His love. We worship a God, and this is the aha moment. Yes, God goes off the lost things, and I was lost. Awesome. Secondly, actually, it's people. He pulls me into a story. He says, I want you to have my heart. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Great song. God's heart breaks for people. And then last week I gave you four points. I'm going to give you the exact four points this week. I've never done that before, but it worked this time. Last week I said, first of all, Jesus goes after the worst of them. Understand this. He had 99 good sheep and he went after the one. It doesn't make good business sense. I'm looking out. There's some good business people here. I studied business for five years. That doesn't make sense, that principle. And yet behind it is a heart. So Jesus is, so the father's there on, on, on his plus. Can I say plus? He's on his plus. I'm enjoying that. I really am not in my notes. I'm not going to bother about that. He's on his plus. He's saying, what do I do? I've got a good son. He's working hard. He hasn't squandered his inheritance. He's still working the farm. He's still plowing the land. He's still investing. He says, but Jesus says, there's a father. And he goes on this journey and, and every day, just trying to find that scripture. Every day he makes a decision. He says, I love this son. But there's a son out there who's far from me. And I've heard rumors that he's not doing well. I've heard stories that he's looking after pigs. My son. And every day this father's torn. I've got this son, this son. So last week we revealed a shepherd who loves the worst. Then God takes him on a journey and says, I'm going to reveal a father who will love the worst. I mean, what do I mean the worst? Well, this son comes to his father and says, Dad, actually, I think it's time you give me my share of the estate. So I've got to just put that back in my story, go home to my nine-year-old son. He says, Dad, I think it's time you gave me the car and the TV. Don't worry about the rest of the stuff. You keep the house. You can keep mom. 
You can definitely keep my brothers. I just want the TV, the car, and the back room. Just, but I'm going to sell it, I'm going to leave. And I'm going to squander it all. Doesn't sound like something I would respond particularly well to. This father sounds like someone who has bigness in his heart, has a graciousness in his heart, and a realization that young men and women, and men and women of all kinds, stories, are going to go on journeys. And too often the church have tried to hold and restrain and lock down and put fences around, but we actually got to be comfortable with the fact that God's in control. Why would I have three kids in an age where actually kids are going chaos in statistics of the world? Why? Because my job is to show them Jesus, not to get good at building fences around them everywhere they go. So the same point as last week, God actually, he goes after the worst and he loves the worst. This guy has been eating pig food. He's been in the pig's muck. He's walking home and he is filthy dirty. What's the response of the father? Well, last week I spoke about a persistent shepherd who didn't give up. This week I'll tell you about a persistent father who never gave up. And every morning he would walk up to the boundary lines of his farm, looking. He wasn't looking for a lost sheep. He wasn't looking for a lost shekel. He was looking for his son. And in that moment, nothing matters. You lost your kids before in a shopping center? I have. I have. And you know what you do? You take the two you got, who are the older ones, who are slightly more responsible, say, hold each other, look after each other. And you start running like a wild man through the shopping center. You don't care what people think of you. You don't care how much noise you make. You don't care who's there, who's not. Oh, there's someone from church. How's that? You just shout. Daniel! Have you seen a boy? He's this big, blonde with blue eyes. He's very cute and he's wearing a red jacket. Have you seen him? Daniel! You don't care. And this father's on the boundary lines and he knows his kid's not well. He's saying, where's my boy? Why? Because there's a father in heaven who's looking at us. I said, I don't just like them. I love them so much. I sent my son to die for them. You see, you might sacrifice for something you like, sacrifice your time to find your wallet, but you won't give your life for your wallet because you can make more money. You know what you can't do again? Generate life from death. Only God can do that. And he says, I so believe in life from death. I sent my son to die. And then last week we spoke about the shepherd and the scripture says he puts the sheep over his shoulders. I want to tell you about this shepherd. It says, turning, this father, turning to his servants, the father said, quick, bring me the best robe, my very best robe, and I will place it on his shoulders. In my home, that means best cap. I like caps and my nine-year-old steals my caps. So for us, that would have been a cap in our story. Bring the ring, the seal of sonship, and I will put it on his finger and bring out the best shoes you can find for my son. Why? Because in that culture, when a son would do what that son had done and leave and take half of his inheritance and put the, put the farm at risk and put the farmer at risk, his status would be wiped out. And should he return, the servants on the farm would have the right to beat that son. He's no longer a son. He's just a servant. He has no rights. He has no authority on that place. And the servants who serve the father can run out and beat that son. 
And this father knows that. And every day he's there, says, I want my son. I don't care what state he comes back. I want my son. I'll keep praying on the boundaries. I'm keep looking for him. So I would be the first person to see him. Why? So that when he comes over that hill, I run and I cover him. It's great that he got a ring and it's great that he got a robe and it's great that he got shoes. But you know what he got? He got the covering of the father saying to the servants who had every right to beat him, you can beat him, but you're going to have to beat me. Because this is my son. This is my son. God says, you know what I did for you? I sent my son. I watched a movie the other day that showed images of Jesus. And I'm watching with my nine-year-old boy. I'm going, this is too hectic. He says, no, dad, I want to watch. They whipped him and they beat him. Why? Because I was just a lost son needing to be covered in a moment when I was unbelievably exposed. And the gospel starts challenging and saying, well, that's fine. Did you get aha one? Okay, God loves locks things coming back. Did you get aha two? He wants you to do the same. But it's costly. Yeah, it's costly. This one costs a celebration. This one, he says, actually, let's prepare a great feast and celebrate. For the beloved son of mine was once dead, and now he's alive. He once was lost, but now he's found. This series is more than just a polite series at church on a Sunday. This series is positioning us for our future to be a church who can receive home the worst. Oh, Mark, I like my suburban church, and I like you when you're nice and non-confrontational, but I'm telling you the gospel challenges every bit of my comfort. How do I know it? Because I've been a top pastor for 12 years. And the pastoral care calls that cry out in urgency don't come on Wednesday morning at 10.30 when I'm ready for it. They don't come on Tuesdays. They don't come on Thursdays. Why? Because when a drug addict hits his low point on a Friday night, is that right, Jock? Friday night. Lonely? Got money in the bank? Gonna run. And other people who are crying out for help, they don't phone in the middle of the day. They phone in the middle of the night. And you make a choice. Phone off or phone on. Answer or not. I'm not trying to glorify anything. I'm telling you, this is your story too. Why? Because it's your father too. And he says, actually, I'm calling you to be a part of fixing the mess of this world. I'm revealing to you. I'm taking you on a journey from a sheepy to a shekel to a son. Because I want you to go on a journey for trusting me for sheep, for trusting me for shekels, but for trusting me for sons. Why? Because that journey is a dead-to-life journey. That shekel will remain dead, and as long as it's lost, it'll still be lost. But that son can come alive. And the gospel gets inside and starts shifting us. Says, actually, your time, talents, and treasures that you conveniently put aside... And I'm putting my hand up. I like doing that. No, your time is going to cost you time when these people come into your world. No, it's going to cost you time and it's going to be inconvenient. But I'm telling you, it'll be glorious. And what you realize is that sowing and reaping isn't just a financial principle. Oh, we love the sowing and reaping financial principle. It's a grace principle too. As I give what he has given, he gives out more and he fills me up to overflowing so I can give and he gives again. And he flows in and through my life as I understand it's not just the evangelist's job. It's not just the pastor's job. It's my job to love who? Not the millions and the seven billion in our world. Just one. 
I believe there is a mandate. And this scripture to me points us to a mandate and, a, and actually a provoking of every believer. Is there a one in your life? Just one. I, had, I was the one. I came back from playing sports in England. I was running from God. I was running from life. I'd done things I'm not happy about. I come back to Durban. I'm going, actually, this church thing, I've done it for a long time. I'm just going to hang the back. And I arrive back on a Wednesday. The following weekend, there's a men's camp. And the guy who was my life group leader before I went to England says, hey, you're coming on the men's camp. I said, I'm not coming on the men's camp. I don't have money. He says, don't worry, I paid for you already. I said, well, I don't have a way there. He says, don't worry, you're coming with me. I said, I don't want to come. I'm picking you up at four. Going, oh. Okay. What I didn't tell him is, I'm a little bit stinky inside. I'm a little bit dirty, actually. I've allowed my mind to go places that it shouldn't have gone. I've done things I shouldn't have done. That's why I don't want to come. And pressure my house at four, took me on a men's camp, and I encountered God again. I'm grateful for someone who went after the one who didn't deserve it. He was seven years older than me and I could do nothing for him. And the gospel's got to shift us from comfort. The gospel's got to shift us from smallness. The gospel's got to shift us from our preferences and our prejudices. What do I mean? Well, actually, the father made a decision. He said, here's my son who served me and stayed here when I gave him inheritance. There's another son coming. See, to leave the 99... To go after the one, you've got to leave the 99. To look for the nine, the one shekel, you've got to leave the nine shekels aside and take your attention off them. To go after the one son who is dead, you've got to actually jeopardize the heart of the son. And here's the thing. We default to the son. Especially walking with God for a long time sometimes. And God's saying, no, no, no. You're my son. You're not the son or the son. You don't have a split identity. You're a son of God. Which means I put my heart into you. I put my grace into you. I put my life into you. And you think you won't have the capacity to love someone because, well, I'm an introvert. I don't really like people. No, I'm making you like my son. So I'm going to bring another introvert into your world and you're going to introvert together. Hi. Hi. You're going to do that. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be hard. But you know what you find as you go on that journey? You're going to encounter the grace of God. And the more you give and you think you're outgiving God, He will pour in His grace and His love into your life if you will trust Him when the prodigal returns. And it all starts when we remember. That's who I was. And outside of God, that's who I would have remained. Unless Jesus covered me. Unless a father sent a son to die to cover me. I would have remained there. On the outskirts of a farm. Looking in to a father who loved me. And I squandered it. The gospel is beautiful. But the gospel is not something to be looked at and admired. The gospel changes the smallnesses and the narrownesses of my heart. To be honest, Jacques and Louise, my friends here, 
I've struggled with the drug presence in our area. And I've struggled with times as a pastor opening up my heart. And I come into your house and people are in there and out there at awkward times and you're out in places all over the time. And I'm going, God, it challenges me. Because it's actually not about energy levels. And I'm not asking, don't get worried. I'm not asking all of you to run into the drug world. I'm asking all of you to run into the world. Some of them are in the biggest houses of our suburbs with the biggest salaries. And they look all lovely. They need Jesus. Because behind that bank account is death. And they need Jesus. And you carry him. And God is provoking us as a people to just do this. It says the Father's heart was full of compassion. That's all it is. It's the gospel. Can we close our eyes, please? I want to tell you a truth that I think this gospel and this scripture leads us to. So sometimes you've got to risk losing something you love to, take, to find someone he loves. And I'll say it again. Sometimes you've got to risk losing something you love to find someone he loves. Maybe it's your time. Maybe you've been hurt, taken advantage of. Maybe it's your treasures. You've given and it never came back. I'll put my hand up for all of those. But you know what I'll put my hand up for more? I love Jesus. And I am loved. Because I'm loved, he says, I'm going to include you in the greatest story your life could ever know. It's called the gospel. Can you place, if you're a believer this morning, will you place your hand on Jesus? What do I mean by believer? Someone who said, I trust this king. I place my life in this king. Will you place your hand on your heart this morning? And if you're brave enough, pray this prayer. Jesus, I love you. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Spirit of God, lead me. Show me the one. Father, reveal your love to me. We worship you, God, this morning. We honor you. Praise you, King. Praise you, King. Lee, don't you jump up and get to that. Praise you, King. I wasn't going to do an altar call this morning, which is weird, but I, if you don't know the love of God this morning, and you're out, and you're hiding, and you're in a pigsty, and you don't know way back, there's only one way back. It's Jesus. There's only one way back. Great back. I'd love to pray with you this morning. If you say, Mark, I'm far. I'm far. I want to tell you in good company, we've all been far. And I want to just pray with you that you can make that journey and encounter that love again. And we will celebrate with you because it's the greatest thing.